Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. This week, I want to talk about another critical component in making great gains. Uh, Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever made a dumb decision? Raise your hand. Those of you that aren't raising your hand, you're a liar. (laughs) Or you're not awake, right? We have all made dumb decisions. In fact, in my life, my wife will tell you, this is a particularly rich area for me. I have a lot of experience to draw from. In fact, I was thinking about what story I should share with you about a dumb decision. Um, And maybe I've shared this in the past, but in high school, I was a part of a scavenger hunt. Now, I know that doesn't sound like crazy intimidating, but this was not an ordinary scavenger hunt. On the scavenger hunt was a list of things like pop machines, like big giant fiberglass animals from the putt-putt golf course. Big, you know, newspaper stands, letters off of your, our rival high school, Freeman High School, down with Freeman uh, High School in Richmond, Virginia, letters off of their school. And so we got teams together to run out. We went to the University of Richmond fraternity houses and stole fraternity letters. How many of you know that was a dumb decision right there? But this was all on this thing. And so we got together, everybody, every team threw in like 20 bucks, and we just kind of went out and got things off of this list. And I made a homemade grappling hook because I'm a ninja. And so I threw it up on top of our rival school. I climbed that sucker. I hacksawed letters off. This is before Jesus, okay? So don't judge me. (laughs) Hacksawed letters off. Like we, we, a lot of destruction, vandalism. And we were to gather and meet up in this cul-de-sac of a development that there were no houses there yet. And so we all came at like midnight that night, brought out all of our stuff, went down the list to see who won. We didn't win. But, you know, there was a winner. But here's the thing. The list with every team and everybody's name was left with all the stuff in that cul-de-sac. And so Monday morning at school, the police were there. And detectives were there. And so they gathered all of us, everybody on this list. They put us in this room together. We confessed. I mean, we were all busted, right? I had to do community service, like 13 hours in a school. Like that was a dumb, dumb decision, was it not? And some of you have made dumb decisions. Now, maybe they're not, they're not that kind of dumb decision like me, right? Resulting in hard time doing community service in a school. But you've made dumb decisions, Maybe you made a a dumb job decision that you look back on it and you think, man, I shouldn't have taken that job because of, you know, here's where I am today and here's where I wanted to be. Or maybe it was a relationship. You made a dumb decision dating that guy or, or taking that girl out and you're like, man, what was I thinking? That was not my wisest moment. It was a dumb decision. Perhaps you're sitting next to your dumb decision right now. If you are, don't point. Maybe you made a dumb financial decision. Some of you drove your dumb decision, you know, to church today. Uh, You've made dumb decisions in our life. But here's what I know. I've made a ton of them, but every single time I've made a dumb decision is not just as a result of me, but it was a result of my influences, the people in my life. Because there are people, the friends that you have in your life will influence the choices that you make. And my friends had a tremendous influence on my life. I also remember when I was a teenager, I'd bring my friends home. And my mom, 
Like she would always judge my friends. As soon as they'd walk in the door, she'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. That's not gonna be your friend, right? You're not running with him because that's gonna lead to nothing but trouble. And I would always fight her on that, by the way. I'd be like, no, mom, you don't know. Stop judging my friends. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. But can I tell you something? Moms have a sniffer. They have a sixth sense about it. Because one person that I brought in, she's like, no, that's gonna lead you to trouble right there. And he did. And so for all the youngsters, all the teenagers out there, if your mom tells you something, you need to listen to that warning Are you with me? That she's given you. Why? Here's why. She understands this. Your friends, write it down, shape your future. Your friends, your influences, the people in your life. It's been said, show me your top five friends and I'll show you your future. They shape and influence your your future. I want you to think about this. You will not get the gains you want. You will not live your best life if you're running with the wrong friends. You cannot live your best life running with the wrong friends. It's impossible. And great gains in your life is a result of a great gang, a result of a great tribe, great influences that wanna come alongside of you. So let's break it down. We're in Romans 12, starting in verse three. Now we've made it to verse one and two. Here we go in verse three in the last two weeks. Uh, And we're gonna continue in this study. Here's what Paul says. Because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. Hey, Steeler fans, listen up. (laughs) Paul's talking to you. Don't think you are better than you really are. Then he says what? To be, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Okay, I can honestly say the Steelers are always pretty good. I'm just being honest. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all, what's that word? Say it out loud. We all belong to each other. Tell the person next to you, you belong. You belong. Paul is saying when you become a follower of Jesus, you belong. You become a part of a community. You become a part of a a spiritual family that you belong together. And it's not this idea that you're just a fan on the sidelines watching some game unfold, you know, just kind of, you know, taking it in, you know, just being a consumer. He says, no, no, no. Like you're a part of it. You get in the game. Now there's, it's great to be a fan, to sit on the sidelines. It's great to be a part of a church that God is moving in and growing in and getting a front row seat to watching people's lives changed and transformed. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being a fan and repping you know, the church with an Elevate bumper sticker. All that's great. But he says, hey, this is not like it's a country club. It's not like you paid your membership dues. You came through the doors, you paid a fee, and now you get to you know, enjoy and just use uh, the facility. He says, no, there are responsibilities that go along with this. We belong to each other. He says, you become a part of a family where you belong to them and they belong to you, and together we belong to one another. And in that setting, in this family kind of setting, you have great influence with each other. You can either influence people for, for God and for good or for a whole bunch of other things. And so I wanna talk about how we make personal and spiritual gains through having the right influences or the right spotters. Everybody know what a spotter is? 
In lifting, a spotter is the person that helps you. A spotter is the person that makes sure your form is correct, that you're not going to hurt yourself. Maybe you need a lift, you know, off of the rack. You know, if you're, you're doing bench or you're going for your, your max, they're there to help you, to, to encourage you. They're the ones that say, no, 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 you got this. One more, one more, or, or push, 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 push. Like, that's what a spotter does. They're there to keep you from, from hurting yourself uh, and, and to help you and to build you up. So I'm calling this Great Gains Through Godly Spotters. That's the title. We want to experience great gains through godly spotters, through godly influences in our life. And here's the first thought. I'm only giving you two. Write this down. I got to examine my examples. I think this is a great time and the start of a year to examine and take inventory of the influences that you have in your life. The people that are leading you, the people that are shaping your future, shaping the decisions that you make. Uh, it was last, last Friday. We just started our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm a week into my, I'm doing like a partial fast. Uh, fasting, you know, really breakfast and lunch and eating dinner with the family. Or, you know, just we're eating one meal kind of thing together. And then, um, but I took my boys snowboarding at Peak and Peak. And we got home Friday night about 1030 and we walk in the house and the smell of Davy Crockett bars fill the house. And my wife had just baked, which is kind of like a glorified chocolate chip, uh, oatmeal kind of bar thing. She had just baked these. They're fresh. The smell went throughout the house. And so how many of you know, Friday night, like I violated myself. It was game on in the Atkins house. I'm like, I'm gonna tear up some, some Davy Crockett bars. And I tell you that because my wife made me do it. <laughs> she didn't, really. But people influence us. We have influences in our life for good and for God or for a whole lot of other things. And when it comes to the influences in your life, there are two different kinds. You have direct influences and indirect influences. For example, if you grew up in a home where you know, your, your family or your, your examples were thrifty, they didn't spend more than they made, you know, they, they were wise with their money, chances are that's an indirect influence in your life and you're gonna carry that kind of spending into your future. But if you grew up in a home where everybody ate out every other meal, right? You, you spend more than you make, you, you took out the big loan for the car, then that might carry over into your life. It's an indirect influence. If you, if you grew up in a home where everybody yelled at each other all the time and, you know, threw things at each other and got all kinds of crazy in the house, then that might be normalized for you and you might carry that into your, your life. There's this indirect influence that it has on you. You know why? You know, so your spouse says, hey, you're acting like your mother? Indirect influence. You know why when your kids do that thing or say that thing that you don't like but it reminds you of somebody, you is an indirect influence that you're having in their life. So what do I do, Colby? I would say if you don't like the, the way you're being influenced, you gotta change your influences. Like this might be a little difficult teaching for some of you. It might mean changing your influences, changing the circle of friends that you have. I remember when I, when I truly began to surrender my life to Jesus, I, I crossed the line of faith early on at a Christian camp, 
Somebody said, well, if you die tonight, where are you going to go? You're going to go to heaven or hell? And I didn't want to go to hell. And so, like, I want to go to heaven. I gave my life to Jesus that night. But it's a process. And in my high school years, I wasn't living it out. I said I was one thing, but I was living like another. That, that might be a word for somebody here today. But I wasn't living it out. And one of the best things that happened to me was when I went to college. And I got around a different group of friends, a different group of, of influences. Because my, my high school friends were friends that I just hung out with and drank with and, and partied with. And really, that was the only thing that united us was living that lifestyle. But when I got to college, man, I got around people that weren't like me. People that didn't say one thing, but live a different way. I got around people that, that not only, uh, they didn't have to tell you they followed Jesus, they showed you by their example, by their, their character, and it rubbed off on me and it radically changed my life. Being around them had an indirect influence on me. And I say that because it's true of all of us. Like if you want gains in your marriage this year, you need to get around some other godly marriages that have the same characteristics that you would like to see in your relationships. Like if you want, if you want gains in being encouraging to people, get around some encouragers. Get around people that, that are filled with love and joy and peace and patience. Like if you want those gains, you need to get around different influences in our life. Because again, you can't live your best life running with the wrong friends. If you want to change your life, if you want to make gains this year, it might mean changing your friends. Colby, that's hard. I know it's hard, but if it doesn't challenge us, it's unlikely to change us. If it's not challenging to you, chances are it's not going to change you. You need to examine the examples that are in your life. There's a story in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus heals uh, a man, a temple official, his daughter, his daughter, she was 12 years old. She, she died, in fact, Jesus on his way to heal her. Uh, the temple guy's name was Jairus, and he's there, and Jesus shows up at the house, and everybody in the house has already assumed she's dead. In fact, the funeral music, the Bible tells us, has already started playing that she's dead, there's nothing that you can do. And so Jesus goes uh, into this house, and here's what the Bible says in Matthew 9, 23. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd. And he heard the funeral music playing. In verse 24, what are those first two words, Sam? He said, say it again, get, that's an exclamation point, get out. He yelled it at him. He's like, you gotta get out. He says, the girl isn't dead. She's only asleep, but the crowd laughed at him. And then verse 25 gives us an indication that he threw him out. He said, after the crowd was put out side. He said, get out. Jesus said, she's not dead. She's asleep. Everybody in the room laughed at him, which by the way, that's a, a word for somebody because there are some people in your life that already believe something in your life is dead. They already believe a marriage is dead and over that believe that you'll never be able to change or break free from that addiction. And can I tell you something? If God didn't say it's over, it ain't over. Jesus might be telling you, hey, some people in your life, you need to say, get out, get out. The very next verse says he put him out of the room. He got him out and he got the right people in. And a miracle happened. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. I want you to think about this. Some of you, you're praying for gains. You're praying for a miracle. 
You're praying for, for God to show up a certain way in your life, but the challenge is you keep placing yourself in the same circles, in the same uh, environments around the same people that are not conducive to the miracle that you want to happen in your life. And so if that miracle ever does happen, like sometimes some of you have to tell people, get, get out of the room so that you can get the right people in the room in order for that miracle to happen because when the miracle happens, those same people aren't there to pull you back into your same ways. Are you with me? They aren't there to, to pull you back, to cause reality, you know, maybe to come back into your life because we all have haters, people that just want to pull you down to where you are. Listen, I know so many people and have so many friends that have been uh, clean and getting sober from, from drugs or alcohol or in the process, and that might be some of you. And here's the number one thing they will tell you. You can't break free from that addiction, placing yourself in the same environments and around the same examples. It's impossible. So there are some people in your life, you need to look at them and say, get out. I love you, but get out. I love you, you're great, but you need to get out of my life because I can't get to the right places running with the wrong friends. I can't, I can't have you as an influence, at least not in this season, in my life. You need to get around the right examples and you need to exit the wrong ones. In fact, that's, that's what Jesus did if you think about this. He put certain people out of the room, but he invited other people into the room to make the environment ripe for a miracle to happen. Jesus did both of those. He got the wrong people out and invited the right people in. Uh, in Luke's account of this same miracle, it says he invited in with him Peter, James, and John. He's like, you guys come with me. I need these, these people to get out that have already assumed that the girl is dead. I need you guys, you who are faith-filled, you who are passionate, you who, who believe Right? I need you to come into this room. You need to get in. In Luke 8, 54, check this out. Jesus told the little girl, he said, get up. So don't miss this. To some people, he said, get out. To others, he told them to get in. And to the little girl, he said, what? Get up. Get out. Get in. Get up. So get the wrong people out. Get the right people in so that whatever is dead in your life can come back to life. Are you with me? Come on, we gotta get the haters out. Get the faith-filled people in that are passionate. Get the people in that can say, hey, with God, nothing is impossible. So that whatever's dead, so that relationship that's broken, so the, the marriage that's being severed can come back to life. You gotta get the right people in. Get out. Sometimes you gotta tell them to get out. Well, Colby, I don't think that's nice. I think you just love everybody and accept everybody. Can I tell you something? Don't confuse loving people with giving them leverage in your life. I'm not talking about loving them or not loving them. I'm saying, hey, I can love you. I'm just loving you from a distance right now. Like, you gotta get out. I'm gonna love you, but you gotta get out. So people have a, an indirect influence in our life. They also have a direct influence. I love what the authors of the book Change Everything, Change Anything said. Um, here's what they said. Anytime you want to change something in your life and it doesn't work, it's not because you're weak. It's because you're blind. It's because you can't see it. 
We all have blind spots. And what they mean is we are blind to some of the influences in our life. Some of the influences that you think mean well, perhaps, that are keeping you from changing the very thing that you want to change. And they also said the number one influencer is other people. Like people are our number one influencer. And so they define uh, these groups of people, these groups of influencers as fans, hecklers, and coaches. Now we all have them, by the way. We all have fans, we all have hecklers, and we have coaches. Did anyone catch the, the, the Bills game last week? Not this week. I know they're still cruising. That's awesome, by the way. Way to go. But last week, they won against the Colts by three points. And what happened was, was the Colts kicker, I think his name is Blankenship, who happens to be a very devoted follower of Jesus, by the way, a very, um, like, just very vocal about his faith kind of guy. He missed a 33-yard field goal that would have, you know, potentially changed the entire game. We don't know, but it could have. But he missed it. Um, but in that moment, I, I thought about this. He had all three groups present. He had fans there. The fans cheering him on. Fans hoping he would, he would make the kick. Of course, he had the hecklers, right? That's the people behind the field goal that are waving stuff and, and yelling and screaming and, you know, doing whatever kinds of crazy stuff. And then he had coaches. Coaches that were, you know encouraging him, just say, hey, you got this, you know, and, and kind of coaching him. Here's what the wind is doing. Here's, here's the direction, you know, here's what it's going to look like. He had coaches as well. But there were a couple things about that moment that stuck with me because all of those guys were present and Blankenship goes out and he, he misses. In fact, he doesn't, doesn't miss big. He misses by inches. He hits the right upright and the ball falls to the ground. But even in that moment, after kicking, you know what he does? He points up to God. He gives, he gives praise to God. He worships God. And then at the end of the game, like when a lot of the players who are followers, they come out to the center of the field and they pray, you know, together. He was out there worshiping God. You know what stuck out to me? You don't just worship God when you make it. Sometimes you got to worship God when you miss. Like sometimes you got to worship God even when you don't feel like it. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. But my worship is not predicated on how I feel. My worship is predicated on who God is and who God is alone. And so we worship him when things are going good. We worship him when things aren't going so good. We worship him when we make the field goal. We worship him when we hit the upright and the ball falls to the ground and the season's over. We worship God. You want gains in your life? You worship God that way. Then no matter what's happening in your life, you worship God. And that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how there were fans and hecklers and coaches all present in that moment. And I thought about that, that we all need fans. And we all need people that will cheer us on. There's no, nobody in this room, nobody watching online that doesn't need somebody to encourage them. Somebody say, hey, you want to make that change in your life? I'm with you. I'm with you. Heart and soul, let's go. I'm praying for you. Like, I, I, I want to be there for you. And you know what? This church is filled with people who want to be fans in your life. People who believe the best in you, who believe that, that God still has more for you. That's why we talk about getting in a group. Because you need people to be there to cheer, cheer you on. And still believe that God wants to, to, for us to have hope in a world that's filled with not a lot of it right now. 
but we need fans in our life. And so this, this church, you can have direct or indirect influences, you can have fans in your life, but we also have hecklers. And if I'm being honest, in that moment when Blake and Ship, you know, was getting ready to kick that field goal, I was a heckler. Because being a heckler is fun sometimes, right? It's fun. But we have hecklers that come along your life and they don't want you to grow. They don't want you to make gains. They want you to stay where you are. They don't want you to, to increase in any kind of way. So whenever you try to make a positive step forward, they're there to pull you back down. You find them all over social media, by the way. Anytime you paste, post something or paste something on Facebook or on social media, your hecklers are there. Your critics are there. And here's what I think a problem is. A lot of times we spend energy a lot of people spend so much energy trying to turn our, our heckler into a fan. And can I tell you something? It's a waste of time. It's never going to happen. 99.99999% of the time, you've wasted your energy. You've wasted your effort. You leave you feeling more depressed, like you didn't make a difference in their life. Can I tell you something? Hecklers that don't believe in you now aren't going to believe in you then. And so why on earth would you put your faith or believe in someone who's never going to believe in you? Heckler's gonna heckle. Hater's gonna hate, right? Heckler's gonna heckle. But in that moment, he had, he had hecklers. And then, of course, he had coaches. And coaches are the people that give you inspiration, not just motivation. Motivation's different. Inspiration, that word comes from inspire, which, which comes from the words in spirit. So it's something inside of you. You know what a good coach does? He pulls, he pulls something out of you that's already in you. He draws it out of you. That's what it means to inspire someone, to be an inspiration. Motivation is I'm pushing you, pushing you along. Go, 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 go. But inspiration is different. It's drawing something out of you, and you need coaches in your life, whether it's a teacher whether it's a, a mentor, a pastor, a friend, whoever it is, we need coaches in our life. We need fans, we need coaches, and we need to move beyond the hecklers. So right now, examine your examples. Examine the examples you have in your life. Who's shaping your thoughts? Whose perspective are you believing and buying into? Who's shaping your, your future? Are there some people that just need to get out? because they are not uh, creating a conducive environment for you to make gains. There's some people you need to say, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're deterring my destiny. You're destructive to the path that God has for me. You need to tell them to get out. You won't live your best life running with the wrong friends. And if you're gonna change your life, you need to change your influences. Here's the, the last one I wanna give you though, because it's not just about having a spotter in your life, and that is, write it down, I need to increase my influence. Paul says you belong. You belong to people. They belong to you. We belong to each other. And you don't just belong so that, right, you can have godly influences in your life, but you belong so that you can make a difference in others' lives. You need to increase your influence. This is what he says in, in verse six. In his grace... God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, well, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is, is serving others, serve them well. And I don't want you to confuse that word because we're going to come back to it. 
But that's kind of about hospitality. That some people, they're just hospitable, aren't they? They just kind of go the extra mile to make you feel warm and welcome. Here's what I believe. It's all of our job to serve. Every single one of us. And I'm going to tell you that in a minute. He goes on to, and we'll read it about these other spiritual gifts that, that God gives us. But I don't want you to miss this. God's given you a gift. See, God's grace means that he wants you. God's gift means that we need you. God's gift means that he's empowered you to make a difference in the, in the local church and in the, the community that, that you belong to. So we need to consider our influence on others. And here's the secret. When we leverage our influence to make a difference in other people's lives, to make other people's lives better, guess what? It makes your life better. There was a study done by a doctor of psychology at University of California at Berkeley. His name's Kettner, you can look him up, but 20 years. He did this study on power. What is real power? What does actual power look like in a, in a person's life? And this is what he said that most of us think power is simply a person's ability to impose their will in a situation for their own benefit. But he said, that's not it at all. After 20 years of studying this, he said, lasting power, real power, is actually in the ability to do something for someone else that they could not do for themselves. And to do it for their good, he says. And then when you do something for someone else that they couldn't do, what happens is they give you more power. And when you get more power, the only way to keep that power from corrupting your heart or corrupting your mind is for you to give it away again. It's kind of like this, you're a conduit, you know, as, as you do for others and, and you get more power where well, you need to keep doing for more and more people along the way. You turn it and you make it about others. And I read that and I thought, thank you, science, for telling us something that Jesus already told us. Because this is what he says we do, that we are meant to be servants. In fact, it was in the, the upper room. Uh, if you remember that, the Last Supper, Jesus gathered with his, his disciples, those closest to him, right before he was gonna go into the garden and be arrested and then, and then convicted and crucified and buried. And so they're all gathered for this, this kind of final meal with Jesus. And we don't think about this a lot because we've seen the picture of them all kind of chilling at a table, you know, looking all whatever. But they're actually on the ground. They're on the ground. Back then they didn't have these tables, so a lot of times you would eat your meals on the ground and you'd eat it on like a, a pillow or a cushion. And because of that, your food would be pretty close to your face and, and, or, or, and your feet as well. Because you're sitting there kind of crossed legged or whatever. I, I couldn't live back then because I can't sit Indian style. I don't know if you can say Indian style. My bad, I apologize. Well, they changed the Washington whatever. I'm sorry, I'm just so off track now. But your, <laughs> your feet would be close to your food. And your feet, come on, how many of you know, were dirty. A lot of these guys would walk around in sandals or they walk around barefoot and the only roads that they traveled were dusty, dirty roads where animals would travel as well. And so they'd step in all kinds of stuff and they'd bring back that, that with them into the house. And so in this culture, you'd have somebody that washes your feet. You have a foot washer. And it was a menial task. It was some uh, a servant that would typically do it. And so I can imagine the disciples have gathered in this upper room and they're looking around, you know, there's no one there. And they're like, who's gonna wash the feet? 
They're looking at one another. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And before they could do anything, Jesus, he pulls off his robe, the Bible says, puts a towel around his waist, and he starts washing people's feet. And this is what he says. Yeah, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. You call me all these things. But he says this, look at it on the screen. He says, I'm I'm all that stuff, but I'm serving you. I'm serving you. And because I'm serving you, you need to do the same. And then he says, follow my example. Like the best example that you and I can have in our life is the example of Christ. He says, follow my example. You are to do this to others. This this right here is why I say, you don't have a gift, a specific gift to serve. Yeah, he lists all these different gifts of, of prophesying, of generosity, all this kind of stuff. But every single one of us is called to serve. We are all called to follow the example. And Jesus is saying, without saying it, hey, if you can't even do this, if you can't even serve somebody, then you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the point of it. You know who the most powerful person in the room is? I submit is not the person with the most money, is not the person with the highest IQ, is not the person with the most charisma. It's the person who leverages their gifts and abilities, not for themselves, but to raise others up. Are you with me? We need to increase our influence. Increase our influence. He goes on to talk about all these gifts. In verse seven, if you're a teacher, teach. If your gift is to encourage, encourage. Be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. If it's leadership, hey, don't take that lightly. Take that responsibility seriously, he says. He's giving you these gifts and it doesn't mean your life's gonna be easy. Leadership is not easy. It's challenging. But he says, don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, I like this, do it gladly. Don't just pretend stop pretending like if you have gifts you need to use them that God has designed you and equipped you with some some gifts to to show people don't don't just pretend really love them how do we do that by using our gifts to serve follow Jesus example and serve part of our heart at this church is to take you on this journey to discovering the unique design that God has created you with And the purpose that he's given you, in fact, we call it Crash Course. It's a a three-week journey. It starts February 7th. If you haven't done it, let me encourage you to to jump in. It's at 12.30. It's immediately following the the 11 o'clock worship time. We're going to gather together. We feed you. We watch your kids. There really is no excuse, but it's three weeks. That's it. Just give us three weeks. Week one is about connecting to each other. It's called Make This House a Home, and it's all about Like what God is building in and through Elevate Church, if you want to hear the vision and the heart and the mission of this church and get connected in community and understand how you belong, week one's for you. Then week two after that is the me I was born to be. It's all about your design. We do a spiritual gifts test. Can I see how God has wired you? What is your your personality type? And then week three is called Destined for Impact, to serve, to follow the example of Jesus and serve, serve, jump on a team. Use your gifts and abilities to make the greatest impact that you can make. Literally, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you 
have gone through this and have taken that next step in your journey and understood that you are called to increase your influence. Here's what I'm asking you to do this week. Examine your examples. Are there people in your life that you need to get out of, the, get out of your life? And who are the right people that you need to get in the room to create an environment that's conducive for the gains that you know God wants you to make in your life? So you gotta get the wrong ones out, get the right ones in, so that God's power through you can say, get up, I wanna bring it back to life. You can't, you never get to the right place running with the wrong friends. So make sure you do that. And then, man, let's increase our influence. God, I pray right now that as your spirit moves in this house today, God, that you would convict us if we haven't been using our gifts to serve you, to make a difference, God, to follow the example that we have in Jesus, I pray that right now we would take another step. God, that we are not just fans on the stand, that we need to get in the game. We need to be contributors of all that you are, are doing. So God, I pray right now that every person in this room or watching online, God, you would move in their life. God, you would make it clear what that next step for them is, whether it's getting in a group, finding some godly spotters so they can get some great gains or getting connected to a serve team or finding a coach, a mentor, somebody to inspire them, God. But most importantly, God, this so we can grow in our relationship with you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, the Bible says that Jesus is a friend, a friend of sinners. And here's the reality. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard that he set for us. But he came and gave his life so that he can have a relationship, a friendship with you. Maybe you've never reached out and invited Jesus to become your friend, to become your, your main spotter, your number one influence, the main example that you live and lead your life through. I want to invite you to do that right now. Maybe you're watching online or you're in the room and you feel like your heart's beating a little faster, your hands are a little sweaty. It could be that that's God's spirit drawing you to him now. Because you know there's some differences that you need to, to make in your life. There's a path that you're headed down. You have the wrong influences. You have the wrong group of friends. And it's not that you don't love them they've held so much leverage in your life. It's time for you to turn to Jesus and allow him to make you new from the inside out. That's what God's word says. For anyone who is in Christ, they're a new creation. That old is gone, the new has come. There is no guilt, there is no condemnation, and you can have freedom in him. I want to invite you to pray this prayer if that's your decision today. You want to make Jesus the Lord of your life and start fresh. You can say something like this in your heart or whisper it out loud. You say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins so I could be set free. I confess you as Lord and as Savior. And from this moment on, I'm going to follow you with my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Celebrate with those today. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. 
there'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.